I think sometimes it's good for us just to come into the presence of the Lord and just receive from Jesus and know that He is the sustainer of all things and He can give us exactly what we need when we need it. Amen. So if you need healing in your body this morning, if you need peace of mind, if you need strength to continue, I believe Jesus is here right now. If you need a word from the Lord, I believe that God can speak to you. Some people say, well, you know, I don't know, Clay. I need a different word than how to handle conflict. But you know, the Lord can give you a word even in the midst of, of a message that may not necessarily you feel like be for you. So, so Lord, we just pray right now. And Jesus, we just receive everything that you have for us this morning. God, we turn our hearts toward you. We turn our minds toward you. Lord, there are people that are dealing with struggles and difficulties, God, but you come to strengthen us in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our trials. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would give us supernatural strength this morning. God, people that are dealing with sickness and disease, I pray, Father, that you would release your healing grace into their bodies this morning. God, people that are discouraged and broken, I pray that you would bring healing and encouragement, God, into their hearts this morning. And I pray, God, that as we open your word, you would breathe the breath of life on it, God, that we would be transformed by it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, you know, we, like I said, we're dealing with a little bit of a, a relationship messages here. You turn my mic down a little bit, Dan. Sometimes it gets a little hot and it bothers me, but it's all good. So we're dealing with, see, we had conflict right there. You see that? Me, me and Dan about to come out on now. But we deal, we deal with conflict a lot in our world. There's a lot of division. There's a lot of conflict going on. And, and throughout our world, we are living in times where we get into some heated arguments. We get into animosity. We get into division. And all of these things are beginning to permeate our world. And a lot of times, even in our, in our homes, in our churches, in our workplaces, if you're just like any regular human being, you have dealt with conflict probably recently in your life. And you've had, you've had challenges that you've had to face because you've had to deal with people. Anytime you're around people, you start to figure out, man, that sometimes people can be difficult. People can be challenging. But here's the issue that I think that we have to figure out as Christians because anytime God is doing a good thing, especially when it comes to family or when it comes to church or community or relationships like that, when God is moving and doing a good thing, let me tell you something, Satan is at work to bring conflict and division. Amen. And it's not so much that, that we're asking the question whether or not conflict is going to come. Conflict is going to come. The question is how we as Christians are going to deal with the conflict. What separates an immature Christian from a mature Christian is really not whether or not you have conflict, but how you process and deal with the conflict. And so if we're going to grow, we have to understand, we have to learn how to deal with conflict in our lives and how to work through that. Now, there's a very interesting passage of Scripture in Galatians chapter 2. It's very unique because the Apostle Paul, he had an encounter with Peter. And we're talking about heroes of the faith. Y'all know about Paul? You know about Peter, both of you, you. You've heard about both of them in Scripture. They're very popular, obviously. But Paul... He has an encounter with, Pete, with Peter, and he recounts this, this encounter that he has, and I think it will help us navigate some of our conflict that we have. But let's read it really quickly. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. It says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. I like that, right? Because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, now notice this, James is the leader of the church in Jerusalem, which means that when they came from James, it was Jewish Christians that were coming up to Antioch. And he said, before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. Now circumcision is just a fancy New Testament term for those who were Jewish people or Jewish Christians. And he said, and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. Oh, man, that's a low blow, Paul. Call somebody a hypocrite. And he said, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified." 
Now, I got to be honest with you. When I'm reading this scripture, what it does out of the begin at the beginning, there's a lot to unpack here, and I'm not going to be able to get through all of it. But one of the things that it does is it brings me comfort because it lets me know that two of the greatest church leaders in our history had conflict. Amen, right? Doesn't that make you feel a little bit better about yourself? Like if Peter and Paul are having conflict and they're having to work through their issues and they're having to maybe confront one another face to face every now and then, then I know I'm not doing too bad myself. And what it reveals is that throughout Scripture, you see conflict. You see men that are filled with the Spirit of God coming into situations where they're dealing with conflict and it lets us know, listen, this is a normal thing. It's a thing that we've got to get used to as Christians and we've got to figure out how to navigate. But here's something that you hear a lot. I don't know if you hear it a lot, but this is a phrase that even as a, especially as a pastor, I hear it all the time, but when I hear it, it brings me a little bit of anxiety and it's church hurt. Anybody ever heard that phrase? Church hurt, church. Well, you know, I wouldn't come to church, but I've been church hurt. I've been church. And I'm like, man, what is, you know, how do we put a label on church? Like people get hurt everywhere, don't they? They get hurt in their families. They get hurt on the job. They get hurt by a boss that's half crazy. They go to a church, and guess what? People in church, there's some nuts in here this morning, y'all. Congratulations. Like, there, I mean, there, there's some things. Where we're going to deal with people on, on a level, and the thing about it is, is God understands that people are messy. God understands that people are broken. God knows that you're going to deal with some people that will hurt your feelings, and that's not the issue. The issue is, can you become a Christ-like individual who forgives, who works through issues, who has conversations with people so that you grow, and at the end of the day, you learn how to love? Because love is, is not love when it's easy. Amen. Love is love when it's difficult. That's when love actually means something, when it's hard, when it's challenging, when it causes you to work, when you have to sacrifice something. That is agape love that Jesus Christ reveals to us. But church hurt is a big deal. And i got to be honest with you, I've been probably a member of maybe five churches my whole lifetime, but when I became an adult, since I've been an adult, since I've actually been saved, I should say, and been a follower of Jesus, I've been, I've been a member of three churches. Like I've been a, I pastored two of them. And then one of them, you know, I was just a member of for about seven years. And in each of those churches, I have to be honest with you, I have had conflict in each of those churches, right? Oh, my gosh, conflict in the church? You should have left. Nobody laughed at that one this morning. I mean, but, but here's the thing. You're going to have conflict. And church hurt is a real thing. I understand it. I get it. But it should not be what defines a Christian's life because no matter what level you get hurt on, there's always a way for Christ to help you work through it, to navigate it, to move forward, to grow with people, to learn how to love people. I got, there's even, you know... In, in each church, I've had to sit down with people. I know what it's like to have difficult conversations. I've had to sit down with people. I've had to have conversations. I've been uh, accused wrongfully before. I've had people talk bad about me. I've had people, when I pastored a church before, a bunch of them quit the church and tried to get people to uh, make me resign and quit. Like, I've been through some stuff. You know, I get it. I understand the difficulty of dealing with people. And there were so many opportunities that I could have gotten bitter. I could have gotten angry. There were times when I did get a little bit bitter. A little bit angry, right? I held on to it. I, I, let me just just to make you feel better about conflict and stuff like that. When I first came to this church back in November 2014, that's how long it's been now. November 2014, huh? 15, my bad. Was it 2015? Well, November 2015. I think she's wrong, but that's all right. <laughs> we'll talk about this later. I will stand you to the face. Um, but, uh, but whenever I first came, you know, the Lord brought me here. I mean, it, uh, the story about how the Lord brought me here to be with Donald and walk through this process. I, I mean, the Lord brought me here. But see, and, and I remember come, when I got to this church, like, you know, anytime you go somewhere, man, you have these just high-minded ideals. You're like, man, this is going to be amazing. This is going to be the best thing that's ever happened to me. And, and then you get here and you're like, well, it's all right, you know. And, 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 but, but my relationship with Donald... Donald's an amazing man. You guys, some of you that hadn't met him or didn't know him, he was here last week. But he and I, we've been in ministry together now since that moment, since we came together. And Donald's a different kind of a, an individual if you've never been around him for a long period of time. Dude loves sarcasm. Like more than anybody probably ever in the world. And so I was spending 40 plus hours a week with him. And sometimes we would butt heads theologically. Sometimes we would butt heads on, on what we think we should do and this or that. But we always navigated through it. But, but with, with that 
just mild tension that's always kind of there and working through those types of things. And, and, and then his sarcasm and the fact that he would scare me about four or five times a day. He'd be hiding behind the door and all this. And then we'd get out in public, you know, or we'd be in the church. And he, he loved making jokes at your expense. So he would do it all the time, just joke after joke after joke. And at first I was like, you know, Donald's a funny guy. But then week two or, or, or month two, I was like, you know, this is, I'm kind of getting tired of this. Uh, <laughs> And, and, and then month three, I was like, yeah, I really don't like it now. And, and then, you know, you go, you go to a funeral or something, and, and, and people are there, and, and he starts making fun of you in front of a few people. And it's all jokes. It's all good. But it was starting to rub me the wrong way. And I remember very specifically, I was like, well, in my heart, I didn't come out and say anything right out of the gate, but in my heart, I was thinking, I don't, I don't know if I can deal, deal with this. This is just hitting me. You know, and, here, and the reason I'm saying this is because it seems like a very small thing, as I'm telling you, Donna. But do you know that the conflicts that we deal with, especially in church, it seems like most of the time that people are dealing with something, it's a very small thing that we blow out of proportion. It's a very, and, and, and so this started to aggravate me. It started to wear on me. And, and, and before long, I found myself very deeply aggravated. And there was one day we were actually building this building that you're sitting in. And I can remember specifically, we were having a cleaning day as a church. And we were out here and Donald kept making fun of me and picking at me and picking at me. And he did it in front of a bunch of people and they kind of jumped in on it. And then he said something else and it was like the straw that broke the camel's back. It was like old man anger rose up in me. So and I said, Donald, you're an idiot. Won't you shut up? I, I mean, that's the last thing you want to see your pastors doing, right? Well, well, Donald, because he's a joker, he was like, well, come on then. Well, come. And we're, we're doing that out here with, I think Barb was probably there watching it. And like some other women in the church was probably watching it. And, I, and then, and, and listen, after I said that, I was so convicted. I, I, I felt, I feel like I had acted like that since I've been saved. And of course, we didn't fight, praise God, you know. I thought about it, you know. I was like, Ugh. but uh but my point being is we had that moment. And so I went home that night and I said, I've got to do something about this. I've got to address this. And in my mind, as I'm thinking about how to address it, I start imagining all the ways this could just go terribly bad. I'm like, man, I'm going to have to leave the church. People are going to be upset. I'm going to confront him about this and try to talk to him about it. And he's going to get so mad. He's going to be upset. He's going to say, get out of here. We, you know. and, and you start imagining all these terrible things. So, so I thought, well... I'm, I'm a little bit upset, but I feel terrible. So first thing, I sent him a message, and I apologized. I said, man, I should not have said that. I don't know what happened to me, but I said, I feel like it's been boiling up in me for a long time, and I've just been overlooking it. And there's just certain things that you do. And I said, maybe there's even a culture in our church, because it seems like everywhere I go, people are just making fun of me all the time. And, uh, and, and I said, I don't know if that's a healthy culture or not. And I, and, and, and I said, I don't know. I said, it's probably just me. But I, I poured out everything that I was feeling, all the emotions that I was feeling, and I told him. And we went and we had a conversation, and I thought he was going to be upset. But see, Donald's a man of God. You know what he said? He said, you know what, Clay, you're exactly right. He said, I'm wrong. I shouldn't have done those things. I apologize. I will make the changes necessary, and, and I, I would have never done it if I thought it was bothering you like that. And we had that talk. It was simple. We smoothed it over. But guess what? Just us having that talk actually made our bond stronger. And it seemed like a small thing. You're saying, well, that's petty, Clay. Well, you know what? Y'all been in some petty stuff too. You know you have. And you have to figure out at some point, because I tell you, I, I kid you not, I believe that churches have split over less than that. People have, churches have been divided. People have broken relations over, over less things than that. And so we have to figure out how to deal with conflict. If I'm going to mature in Christ, the first thing I want to tell you, if I'm going to mature in Christ, I must learn how to deal with conflict. If I'm going to mature in Christ, I've got to learn how to deal with conflict. And see, we need this message right now in our world because you know what I've noticed is that people are terrible at dealing with conflict. They run from it. They don't handle it. They don't deal with it. They don't want to deal with it. How many, like I said at the beginning, how many of you actually like conflict? Y'all don't like conflict. You don't want to deal with it. You want to, you want to run from it. You want to imagine that it's not there. See, but I know, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to deal with conflict so I can, I can sympathize with you. But you're going to have to face these things at some point in your life. And here's what a conflict is, really. A conflict is a serious disagreement regarding a meaningful situation. Now, here's what I want you to understand, too. When I talk about conflict and I talk about processing conflict, I'm not talking about abuse, and I'm not talking about remaining in dehumanizing situations. There are some relationships that you don't need to persevere in. 
If you're being abused, if somebody's dehumanizing you, that's not a conflict that needs to be worked, worked out. It needs to be worked out with the other person where they need to repent. But you don't have to subject yourself to abuse. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the everyday issues that we have between interpersonal relationships with people where it's not, it doesn't seem to be that big of a deal, but there's a serious matter at hand and we have a disagreement and we got to figure out how to move forward with that disagreement. And so you can't be surprised by these particular things that are going on. Now, I want to I go into Galatians 1, but before I do, I want to give you three stages of community life and relationships, okay? Three stages. Now, you got to bear with me here on the metaphors. But the first stage is the heavenly stage, right? This is the ideal stage. Now, when the heavenly stage kicks in, you just started. Like you just, some of you, you just started a relationship and you think this person is the most amazing person in the world. You see nothing wrong with them. I mean, they, they're hot and they bought you chocolates. So it's, you know what? It's all it is. It, it, we're in heaven right now. And nothing, nothing seems to be going wrong. It's all good. You're in that dating phase. There are people that come to our church right now and they're just like, oh my gosh, I just, I just love this church. This is the most amazing church. I said, yeah, just wait a minute. I told I somebody last night, I said, you know, I'm not a very good advertiser for our church. People sit down and be talking about our church and I'll be like, yeah, it's not as great as you think it'll be. I, you know, I have a hard time inviting people. When people come from other churches, I like to know, honestly, you know, why they left. And sometimes, like, like I said, I've been to three different churches. Sometimes the Lord legitimately moves you. But you know, it's never a good idea to leave a church on bad terms to go to another one. Ever. You've got to figure out a way to close the door in a healthy way. If God's moving you, so be it. But if, but if you are angry at somebody or you're hurt by somebody and you leave that to get away from that situation, I promise you that same situation will follow you into the next place. You're looking for greener pastures. I get it. We do the same thing with relationships, right? We think the next job, the next person, the next church is going to be amazing. And maybe whenever we first go into it, we find that it is amazing for a short season. But then all of a sudden, disappointment comes and you enter into the second stage. I said deal with me on the metaphors, but the second stage is the hellish stage, right? All of a sudden, you realize, man, this person isn't quite as awesome as I thought they were going to be. Anybody amen me? You move on to the next person, you're like, they're just not quite as amazing as, as it seemed like they were in the beginning. And all of these things start coming to the surface. And even when you go to church, you realize, you know what, man, this, these people at church, like there's some people here at this church that are a little bit weird. There's some people at this church that are getting on my nerves. I don't like the way that person is that. They disagree with me. All of a sudden, you come to a new church and the pastor gets up and preaches something one Sunday that doesn't fit with your theology. My Lord. And then me, as a pastor, I find out that you as a congregation member don't agree with everything that I believe and you don't think that I'm awesome. And I get aggravated. <laughs> and we realize that we're in conflict, that we've got, we've got differences. We've got differences of opinion. How many of you realize you've got differences of opinion in here? Is that okay? Yeah, it's okay because unity is not always uniformity. Right? We can have differences, we can have differences of opinion, but we can still come together and agree around the main thing. I guarantee you right now, if I were to sit down with 20 or 30 of you right now, I guarantee you on certain issues we believe differently. But when we come together in this room, we worship the same God. We worship the same God. And there's facets of what you believe and facets of what I believe that I believe probably reveal the manifold wisdom of God as long as we're not moving into heresy. Amen? Like there's different aspects that can keep us in balance as human beings because there's not one person that knows it all and understands it all. I, as your pastor, guess what? I don't have all the mysteries of Scripture understood, right? I'm still working through this thing myself. And we're all working through it together, but you enter into that hellish stage where all of a sudden you're disappointed, you're disillusioned, you're in despair, and you're thinking, man, this wasn't near as good as I thought it was going to be. And see, it's easy to externalize conflict out there, but conflict must be dealt with in ourselves first. Because if you leave a relationship for another one, you leave a church for another one, guess what? Wherever you go, there you are. Wherever you go, there you are. And so often people put the blame on somebody else. Well, it's them. And I, I ask people sometimes that really have conflict everywhere they go, I'm thinking, what do you think the common denominator is here? Because it seems like you went here, you had conflict. You went there, you had conflict. You went here, you was doing it. Everywhere you go, there's conflict. What is the common denominator? Before I deal with the conflict outside of me, I must deal with the conflict on the inside of me. 
What, where have I been abused? Where have I been traumatized? What have I dealt with in my life that is causing me to be angry and bitter at people all the time and not being able to navigate relationships in a healthy way that glorifies God and, and points people to Jesus? Where is that coming in my life? So stage three, this is the reality stage, and this is where you hold the tension. What you come to realize is, guess what? Your relationship, the person that you're with, they're not an angel, but they're not a demon either. The church that you go to, your workplace, it's not heaven, but it's not hell either. What you find out is that the reality is in this world with the people we live in that are broken and fallen, they're generally good people, but they're broken. They've dealt with trauma growing up. They lived in families and were raised by parents who didn't know how to deal with conflict either. They'd either be silent and not say anything and address the conflict or they'd get into shouting matches while you watched them shout and holler and yell at one another. And so you've been formed by that to the point that now you don't know how to deal with conflict. So every time any little thing happens, it boils up on the inside and you respond in a variety of ways that may or may not be healthy at all. Anybody amen me this morning? Y'all with me? This is good, right? Because we got to figure out, I know this is very practical. We've been practical the, fa- for the last few weeks. But if we do not learn how to deal with this, I'm telling you, so many people have shipwrecked their faith because they have not been able to deal with a very small conflict in their life. Satan comes in and says, man, if I can just stir this one person up to aggravate that person, I can split them and we can, we can take care of their, their relationship with God right now. And you'll hold on to it and you'll call it church hurt and you'll blame the church and you'll blame Christ when really it's just broken people that need the grace of God. It's just broken people that need the grace of God that we need to learn to deal with. And so I'm holding the tension of, you know what, I'm in this community where there's a mixture of broken people that need grace the same way that I need grace. And I've got to learn to hold that tension. See, here's something else that you need to know. It's not what we disagree on that hurts relationships. We could disagree on theology. We could disagree on a program in the church. We could disagree on how I should have handled a counseling situation. We could disagree on a lot of different things. But it's not what we disagree on that hurts relationships. It's the way we process what we disagree on. How do we work through it? How do we talk about it? Because we're going to have a lot of disagreements. There are going to be times when, when we sit down with, with different people in leadership or different people in the church and, and talk with different people or maybe you guys are in ministry or something like that and, you know, Dan's back there running the sound and somebody beside him says, you know, I think the sound ought to be run this way. And, well, he punches him in the face. No, that ain't. no, you talk through these things. Why do you think that is? You deal with these things conversationally and you start to work through these. And that's what we see in this relationship between Paul and his encounter with Peter. Now here's one thing that I want you to understand. You can't sometimes you can't pray away conflict. You ever get into a bad situation, you're like, man, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to have to handle this. I'm gonna pray it away. God, just take care of this. Make it vanish. Make it go. Anybody ever prayed that prayer? I've prayed that a lot. Lord, make this person vanish. Would you go ahead and rapture them right now? Just take them to heaven, Lord. Don't kill them, just rapture them. Make it gentle. I didn't pray that prayer. It didn't work. Because sometimes you can't pray away conflict. You're asking God to do something that He has actually put in your path for your sanctification and development. You cannot dodge conflict because He knows that's the one thing that is going to shape you to be more like Him. If anybody ever faced conflict in this world, it was Jesus. He faced conflict straight on. He was not afraid to face the Pharisees who questioned him, who doubted him, who called him a blasphemer. He was not afraid to face the devil in conflict in the wilderness with nobody at his side. And he was not afraid to face the ultimate conflict of the cross whenever the weight of all the sin of the world came to him. He faced conflict head on. He was not a little dude that walked around like this all the time saying, I'm not, I don't want to deal with anything. I don't want to confront anybody. No, when push come to sub, if he had to, he would confront things and deal with issues and he showed us how we are to process conflict and deal with it but see sometimes I used to think I used to think that conflict was a sign of immaturity like if you see conflict well they're just immature that's not necessarily true because everybody at some point you're going to deal with conflict the sign of immaturity is not whether or not you're going to deal with conflict once again it's how you deal with the conflict that is set before you now in Galatians 2 verse 11 and 12 let me read it again It said, now when Peter had come to Antioch, Paul says, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. Now in the New Testament, 
There are many tensions between Jews and Gentiles. There are religious differences. There are cultural differences. And the Jews, they lived a very specific way. There are laws that they followed. When they came to church, they came to church a very specific way. There were certain things, sacrifices that they had to offer, certain festivals they had to attend, certain holy days that they had to watch for, certain days that they had to fast. There were certain things that they could not eat. You know what I'm saying? They couldn't eat pork. They couldn't eat shrimp. If I couldn't eat pork, boys, it'd be a bad day. Anybody amen me on that? See, they couldn't, they couldn't eat bacon, man. They couldn't eat shrimp. They couldn't eat lobster. They couldn't do all these things. And they believed that their dietary guidelines and their laws actually made them right with God. The things that they did made them right with God. And Gentiles, on the other hand, man, they were pagans before they knew Jesus. Anything went. They eat whatever they want to. And so what was happening was Peter heard the gospel of Jesus Christ that we're no longer justified by the law. He heard the gospel that said, look, it don't matter where you go to church, Peter. It doesn't matter what you eat. It's not about what you eat. It's not about what you wear. It's not about the laws that you keep because nobody is justified by the law. It is about faith in Christ Jesus. No matter your background, no matter your race, no matter your creed, no matter what you used to be, it's not about the laws that you keep any longer. It's about the one who kept the law for you and you put your faith in Him and by Him we are justified through faith in Him. But see, what happened was Peter said, this is good, I like this. And he would go to the Gentile parties and he'd be like, boys, give me some ribs. And he'd be over eating ribs, you know, gnawing on ribs. And they'd be like, hey, you want some bacon-wrapped jalapenos? He said, slide them over. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm done with that. We, we ain't under the law no more, boys. Bring the pork on, you know what I'm saying? And they'd be eating shrimp and dipping it in marinara sauce. And, and everything was good until all of a sudden the Jews showed up one day. The Jewish Christians showed up and they said, Peter, what are you doing? You're not right with God. And he said, you're, you're right, I'm not. He had barbecue sauce on his mouth. He walked over to the other side. He started pointing at the Gentiles and saying, you boys ain't right with God. Even though he'd been sitting there eating bacon just as much as them, he'd been doing the things that they had been doing. And Paul shows up and he said, you know what? I got before everybody and he said, this was a gospel issue. This was important enough that I could not dance around it. I couldn't sit there and know that he's leading people astray in his hypocrisy, making people believe that they're right with God through the things that they eat or the things that they wear or the traditions that they hold. He says that is not the gospel. And whenever you add something to what Christ has done, you deny the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can't add anything to it. Now, what does that mean? You say, well, Clay, are we supposed to just live lawlessly now? No. When you are saved and truly the justification of Christ has taken place in your heart, guess what it does? It changes who you are. Now the law is written in your heart. Now the law is written in your mind. And the greatest indicator of a person truly being a born-again believer is a transformed life. Somebody amen me, right? That's how we know. So you can't say, like somebody that's living like the devil can't say, well, I'm saved, I said a prayer, but then go out and live like the devil. That's not what it means. If you are truly saved and justified, there's a work of the Spirit done in your heart that transforms who you are. So he's saying, don't put the pressure on them to keep the law. If they're truly saved, the law is going to be in their heart. But it's not about what you eat anymore. It's not about what you wear. It's not about the externals. It's about faith in Christ. And so he comes and he rebukes Peter to his face and he starts to deal with that. Now that's the content of it, but I don't want to deal with the content of it so much. That's a good message right there. We could talk about that for a long time. But I want to deal with the process of it, like how Peter goes about it, how Paul goes about it, so that we can apply that to our marriage. We can apply that to our relationships. You can apply that to your boss at work. You can apply that to your coworkers. Amen, right? So let me give you three things real quick that you can apply. Number one, and I already said this, but conflict should not surprise us. It should, and, and the reason I say this is because every time conflict does come up, guess what it does to me? It surprises me. Y'all, conflict shows up and immediately, because you're anxious about it, you're worried about it, you're fearful about it, you're like, I can't believe them. That's our first response usually, isn't it? Anybody ever done that or is that just me? And you're surprised. It's like you're shocked that a human being isn't flawless. And they're not. And when that shows up, you should not be surprised that conflict is there. You should be ready for conflict to come because it's going to be an opportunity for you to reveal Jesus. It's going to be an opportunity for the grace of God to be poured out in somebody's life. And you are the vessel. And so you've got to ready your mind for conflict. You've got to be pre prepared for it. Number two, conflict usually requires confrontation. 
Now, this is one that none of us like because when we think about the word confrontation, we think about it being aggressive. We think about it being forceful. We think about having to talk to somebody face-to-face and dealing with that. We're like, man, I hate confrontation. How many people in here you love confrontation? Anybody? Somebody like, nobody. We, when we go through next steps, we, we have people take uh, uh, the Enneagram test. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but, but the only people on the Enneagram that like confrontation are eights. Anybody in here eight? Right there's one. Yeah, they love it, son. Uh, Takeda, if I you right now, she don't care. <laughs> but eights love conflict, but everybody else in their personality type, they, they like to shy away from conflict. They handle it in different ways, but they like to shy away from it. But in Galatians 2.11, here's what it says. It says, I'm going to read it in just a different verse one more time. But when Cephas came to Antioch, Cephas is Peter, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. These are serious words, but they're important words. Words And what you've got to understand is what Peter says is one thing that you've got to know is conflict actually requires FaceTime. Here's what I mean by that. And I'm not talking about FaceTime on your phone. I'm talking about you meet that person face to face. You deal with this issue. You talk with this person. You have a conversation with this person. Because I don't know if you realize this or not, but conflict cannot be resolved on Facebook. A lot of people have tried it. I've seen debates go for hours and days And thread after thread after thread. And guess what? It does not resolve the issue. But what you do when you go on Facebook is you just allow the entire world. you got like 4,000 friends on Facebook and you don't even know most of them. And they're just sitting there watching it, eating popcorn while you you have a debate on Facebook. You're not going to resolve anything like that. That's not the godly way to handle situations. It's not the biblical way to handle situations. You need FaceTime with the person. You do not need Facebook. They cannot be handled on social media. But see, when we've been formed by our culture and we've been formed by our families, usually we get stuck in a rut of how we deal with conflict. Like if you grew up in your family, your family probably dealt with conflict a certain way. The majority of families, they actually dealt with conflict in shouting matches and retaliation and anger. And and a lot of times that would come from the male or whatever. But how did your family deal with conflict? Did they deal with it with shouting and screaming? Do Do you know that shouting and screaming is really just a false way of protecting yourself? Because you don't really want to become vulnerable. You don't really want to deal with your issues. So when you shout and you scream, you are in control and you think you can get the other person to stop and shut up and submit. But you're not dealing with any issues. You're not dealing with any issues. And then the, another way that people use it is they, they avoid it. They just, some people will just give you the cold shoulder, right? How your family dealt with conflict, nobody talked for a week. Anybody lived in a house like that, right? Nobody talked for a week. Just well, this is how we're dealing with it. You doing all right? Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> That's not how you deal with conflict either. The issues are still there. But see, conflict differs from personality to personality. But you need to learn, as difficult as it is, to when you got serious conflict, you need to talk to the person that you got conflict with. You need to sit down with them. And here's another thing. You need to be very careful about texting them first. Because if you text them first, you'd be like, you know how you can send a text and you just be like, hey, what's up? God, what are you so mad about? I just said, hey, what's up, man? People read into those things. like, But they need to see, Donald preached about it last week, they need to see your facial expression. They need to see the tone of your voice. They need to hear where you're coming from. And you need to be in a face-to-face encounter with that person. But see, rather than go face-to-face, let me give you a few things that we often do instead of being face-to-face with people like Peter and Paul were in, in dealing with our conflict. A, let me give you about four points. A is silence. What we do is we just we just... Shut it off. We just say, you know what? And a lot of you are so passive that you'd rather not deal with any conflict. So you just let it bubble up on the inside of you year after year after year. But you remain silent because you would rather bear the weight of it than actually come out and talk about it and process it and deal with it. That's not a good way to deal with it either. Silence is not a good way. Secondly, B is is cut off. What we do is we just say, you know what? Forget this person. I'm cutting them off. They hurt me. I'm done with them. I'm cutting them off. And let me tell you something. There are some relationships, like I said, I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about somebody that's done something that's just way out there that's dehumanized you or whatever. Sometimes there are times where you need to cut people off. There are people on Facebook, you know what? If I feel like it ain't, it ain't going right, I just cut them off. I'm like, I'm going to snooze that dude for about 30 days. I don't know him. But when I'm talking about relationships in a church, for example, or in a workplace, or in a family, or in a home, whatever that may be, when you know somebody, you have a relationship with them, and all of a sudden you just say, you know what, 
I ain't going to deal with that. Rather than deal with that, I would rather just cut them out of my life. That's ungodly. You can't do it that way. You can't just cut people out. You have to figure out how to process it, how to deal with it. C, let me give you another one. It's triangulation, right? A triangle's got three points. What happens is, and I know you've done this too. I have as well. What you do is, is when you got conflict with somebody, what you want to do is you want to bring in a third party, right? And guess what? That's a normal response to dealing with conflict, like just bringing in a third party. Man, I need a mediator. I need to hear what you think about this so that I know that I'm not coming at it from a bad angle. If you're going to bring in a third party, bring in somebody with wisdom. Bring in somebody that's going to make some sense and not just jump on your bandwagon and go to hating the person. Amen. But better than tri- triangulation is often not very good because if you bring in a third party, what ends up happening is you just pour out all your anger and all your frustration and all your rage on this third party and they're just like, yeah, honey, I know, I know, honey, it's awful. And, and while they're sitting there listening to you, you feel better about yourself, but you're still avoiding actually dealing with the person you have conflict with. Amen. You're avoiding dealing with the person that you have conflict with. And worst case scenario, when you bring somebody in to the situation, you will end up doing three things. Number one is you'll bring somebody else into a conflict that they didn't need to be in. Let me give you a few Proverbs right here. Proverbs 26, 17 says, Interfering in someone else's argument is as foolish as yanking a dog's ears. I like that, right? How many people have ever walked by a big dog like a German? Oh, a pretty German shepherd. <laughs> Nobody does that because you're going to get bit. And when you interfere in a conflict that is not your own, you're probably going to get bit. And so you want to be careful about who you bring into it. But secondly, what you might do, end up doing when you enter into bringing somebody else into your conflict is, is you gossip. And Proverbs 17, 9 says this, Whoever would foster love covers an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Right, And so he's saying when you get into conflict with somebody, if you're really fostering love, you're figuring out a way to not get this per- make this person look bad on the outside. You're going to try to cover an offense. But if you keep repeating something that somebody did over and over and over again, you might cause somebody else to look negatively upon them and you actually end up separating close friends because you will not let it die. Man, that's good. Number three, you sow discord among brothers and sisters. Proverbs 6, 19 says that six things that God hates, one of them is those who sow discord among brothers. And so you've got to be careful who you bring into the situation and how you handle that, how you process that, how you deal with that conflict. But then D, lastly, is that you deal with it through attacking. And like we said, when you attack, all you're really doing is you're yelling and you're screaming because you don't want to become vulnerable enough to actually deal with your issues and talk about it. There are sometimes that Andre and I will get into a little battle or whatever, and I just don't feel like dealing with it. So, I, you know, I get loud. I project my voice a little bit trying to shut her down. And then the Holy Spirit says, Clay, you're an idiot. You're not a gorilla. You're a human being. <laughs> and, and he probably says it more lovingly than that, but it feels that harsh. And then he says, why don't you apologize and why don't you talk to her like a human being and ask her why she feels the way that she does and quit attacking her. And, and, and that happens quite regularly in our relationship, right? No, It does happen though, right? Everybody in here that's married, you deal with that, right? Something like that happens. But you've got to figure out how to work through that and process those things. Now, the question is, what's your go-to mode? Do you like to silence? Do you just cut people off? And just stay bitter and remain bitter for year after year after year? Or do you try to bring other people into the conversation and you just spread it like wildfire? You might even bring 12 people in. You might have, you might have like a board of directors, you know. How are we going to deal with this situation? Well, we ain't. We're just going to talk about them. Praise God. Uh, you know, or, or do you attack people? Do you just say, you know what, I ain't dealing with this. I'm going to hide, hide. And you just go into attacking people and deal with it. But which one, what's your go-to? A lot of it's probably been formed because you were raised that way. It happened in your family. But at some point, you got to realize that you cannot continue to live that life. If you're going to grow, I'm telling you right now, the reason churches split, the reason people don't grow, the reason people quit and leave jobs or leave relationships or leave certain things before they should is because they do not know how to deal with conflict, period. And so there's a medical doctor. His name was Kurt Thompson, and he wrote this book called The Soul of Shame. I want you to hear what he says. He says, there is often... An internal message whenever we are experiencing feelings of shame, whether it's something we did or feelings about who we are, we have a hard time confessing these things related to our shame. And I want you to notice this last phrase. 
because we believe that we do not have what it takes to tolerate the moment. And I'm telling you, the people that I deal with that suffer from addiction, they are oftentimes bound in addiction because they don't feel like they have what it takes to tolerate the moment if they were to confess their shame. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about the abuse they went through. They don't want to talk about the abuse that they did to somebody else. They don't want to confess that. They don't want to bring it up because they don't think they have what it takes to tolerate the moment. Now, here's what I would say about conflict is oftentimes when I'm getting ready to deal with conflict, I got the same feelings in my heart. I think to myself, I do not have what it takes to tolerate that moment when I'm looking that person in the face, in the eyes, vulnerable, who knows how they'll respond, have no idea what's going to take place, and you start to be, your heart begins to beat. You lay up all night worried sick. Y'all ever been there? I know what it means to be there, y'all. I know what it means to get an email from somebody that don't like what you said. I know what it means for somebody to come to you and, and, and sit down and say this and that. I know what it means to be the point in triangulation where somebody brings you into the conversation and say, I'm mad and fire at this person. And you need to. And I know what it means for me to do something wrong and somebody come into my life to correct me. I know all of those aspects of it, and you probably do too, unless you just live in the most unhealthy culture in the world where you never deal with anything. But see, again, I know this is very practical, but if we do not learn how to deal with this, we're going to have a very difficult time in our lives. And see, when we have more people, as the, I, I, I get, I'm thankful that our church is growing, that we see more people. But when you got more people, guess what? It's like Puff Daddy said. He said, more money, more problems. More people, more problems. More people, more problems. And you start dealing with more people in your life, you start dealing with more conflict. And you have got to figure out how to navigate it in a healthy way. So conflict, it shouldn't surprise us. It requires face time. But thirdly, here's the last thing. Resolving conflict calls for healthy speech and humble listening. Healthy speech and humble listening. Now, what do I mean by that? It means that when I'm getting ready to meet with somebody, I have to have speech that is clear. I got to know why I feel the way I do i got to express to that person what's going on in my heart and how I see the situation. But it's also got to be honest. I can't be hiding things. I can't be passive-aggressive. I can't be beating around the bush. i got to be honest with that person. But I also have to be respectful. I have to care about that person. I have to love that person. I have to assume the best about that person. Because if I go into this conflict and I just think they're out to get me right out of the gate before they actually come out and say, you know, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I've never gotten a conflict with somebody and thought they're out to get me and then all of a sudden they come out and sit down and you know what, Clay? I'm just out to get you, bro. <laughs> Nobody's ever said that to me yet, thank God. You know, I guess if I sat down with Satan, he'd probably say that. But, but, but here's the thing. No, I've got, I've got to be all those things. And then lastly, I've got to be timely because here's the thing too. If you're a hot-tempered person, oftentimes you'll deal with the situation out of time. You'll deal with it before it's time. You need to wait for a space. You need to have prayed about it. You need to have talked to the Lord about it. Whether or not you need to just let it go or whether or not you really need to deal with it. And the Lord will let you know, I promise you. He'll put pressure on your heart to say, you need to talk to this person about this. This is bitterness in your heart. You need to deal with this. You need to process this. You need to go through it. And you need to pray, and you need to wait for an unhurried time. There, there are people that I talk to, I was like, when you have time, I, I, need, to, I need space to talk with you. Of course, they always respond, uh-oh, I feel like I'm in trouble. And I say, you are, buddy. You're going to get a whipping. No, I'm just kidding. I don't say that. But the but point is, you need to get that time where there's unhurried and and, and time to be actually talk. And then secondly, you need healthy speech, but you also need humble listening. And this means that you're actually curious about what the other person, the way they see it. You actually want to hear how they feel and why they feel that way. You're not just ready to respond to them and jump on them right out of the gate. Proverbs 18, 13 says this, To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. But a lot of times when we enter into conflict, we already assume that we know exactly why the person is doing what they're doing. And a lot of times we, we pin all kinds of things on them that are not even true about them before we ever even listen to what they've got to say. And what is best, if you can do it as a Christian person, if you can do it, when you have conflict with somebody else, the best route, and I know oftentimes it's very difficult to do, 
And sometimes I bring in other advisors before I enter into conflict that I know are going to protect me and protect the person. But the best route to do it in is to simply go to that person directly without talking to anyone else and talk to that person and say, this is what is on my heart. I need us to work through this and talk through this so that you can come to reconciliation and forgiveness and walk through that and deal with that process. And here's the thing. Just because you're dealing with conflict, it doesn't mean in the end that y'all are going to agree. There are going to be sometimes that we just disagree on things. And some of us are going to have to be willing to lay it down and say, you know what? Agree to disagree. Let's move on. Let's love one another. This is not that big a deal. Let's, let's go forward. And we just learn to deal with this. See, if we do this, is everything going to be solved? No. Is, everything, is everybody going to be happy? I doubt it very seriously. There are going to be times... When you engage in conflict, and some people just aren't going to hear it. I've done it here. I've engaged in conflict with people here, and they've just left. I didn't want them to leave, right? I've dealt with that at other churches. We've engaged in conflict. I pastored another church where, we, where I, I dealt with conflict. We had to talk to somebody about some things, and, and they just didn't, they didn't want to hear it. So sometimes when you engage in conflict, some people are not go, going to want to hear it, but I promise you this. I've been in a lot of situations that seemed really big, they ended up being way, way smaller than they were. And 90% of the time, what I found is the person that I'm talking to responds properly. They respond with a good heart. They respond with a good attitude. And guess what? I'm still here. I could handle the situation. You think you can't handle it, but I promise you, God's grace is there. And when you're entering into conflict, it's an opportunity for Jesus to reveal himself in that moment and to show you who he really is. Now, what I like about this is that, you know, we talked about the heavenly stage, we talked about the hellish stage, and then we talked about the stage where you're holding these two realities in tension. But here's the beauty of it, is throughout the Bible, from the front to the back, you see conflict going on. Even in the very beginning, you see conflict. Humanity took it upon themselves to say, you know what, we want to be God. We want to take control. We want to decide what's good and evil for ourselves. And sin entered into the world and there was conflict among humanity and there was conflict between man and God. And in the midst of that conflict, when we were broken, when we were sinful, when we were not living right, guess what? God did not silence Himself. He did not come after us and attack us. Nor did He cut us off, but He came after us in love. This is how God demonstrates how He deals with conflict. Because if there's anybody that has conflict, do you know that you were alienated from God? You were cut off from God? You had sinned against God and offended God in such a way that really all we are deserving of is wrath and eternal separation from Him. That's what we're deserving of. But we don't see a God who got bitter. We don't see a God who got angry and cut us off or silenced Himself. We saw a God that came running after us in love in the garden to say, Where are you? I love you. I want you back. And I'm willing to lay down my life ultimately that you can be saved from all of this. And the last thing I want to say is this, is that Jesus is your faithful friend. You'll go through a lot in this life. Friendship is a weird thing, isn't it? Because if you've got friends, you can have the best friends in the world and you're still going to deal with challenges. And sometimes you're going to have disagreements. And sometimes you're not going to see eye to eye. But real true friendship is the type of friendship where you have these difficulties, you have these little bumps in the roads, but you learn how to deal with them and it actually makes your relationship stronger because you see this person loves me enough to bear with my faults and forgive me in my sin and forgive me when I mess up and forgive me when I make a bad mistake. Jesus is trying to call me right now. friendship it's weird and you're going to have conflict you're going to deal with it but here Jesus said this John 15 13 he said greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life 
for his friends. Now, here's the truth. You've not laid down your life for any of your friends. You're still alive here today. This is not so much about how you're supposed to love your friends. This is about the fact that Jesus is the friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's what Proverbs 18, 24 says. It says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And Jesus is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And here's the thing. In your friendships, there are going to be times when you feel betrayed. There's going to be times when you feel hurt. There's going to be times maybe in this church or in your workplace or in your family where you are hurt, where you are betrayed. But I promise you, Jesus is the faithful friend who will never leave you, never forsake you. And if you will realize that you've always got a friend that sticks closer than a brother, then you can get through any conflict. And when you start to see his love for you in all of those things, and you start to experience his love for you in all of those things, it becomes very easy to express that love to other people who are as broken as you are. Amen? I want you to just bow your heads where you're at. See, God moves toward us in our conflict, in our sin, in our brokenness. And he says, I want you in spite of all that. And right now, you got to ask yourself where you're at in your heart with, with the Lord. Is there conflict between you guys? Is there sin in your life that you need to bring up, up under the blood of Jesus and turn from and, and bring to Him and say, Lord, I see what you've done for me. I see that you went to the cross for me. If that's there, then you need to bring that to Him in prayer. And for the rest of you, you got to ask yourself, what's the Holy Spirit speaking to me about how I deal with the conflict in my life? Do I deal with it well? Is there somebody right now that you're angry at? Is there somebody right now that's just got you frustrated, aggravated? Is there somebody right now that you're bitter toward and you need to figure out and pray about how you're going to deal with it? Right now, you need to bring that to the Lord. So, Lord, we just pray. And first off, God, we don't want any conflict with you. We see, Lord, that you love us so much that you died for us on the cross when we were in sin, when we were broken, and when we were in pain. And Lord, you came after us and you loved us anyway. You didn't attack us. Lord, you didn't silence yourself. God, you didn't cut us off, but you came after us and you loved us through it. And we're grateful for that. And we give our lives to you right now afresh. Lord Jesus, we ask you to forgive us of our sins. But Lord, would you give us the grace also to forgive those who have hurt us, Lord, who have done wrong to us. And Lord God, would you help us to navigate through difficult times and conflicts so that we can grow and become more like you and glorify you, Jesus and show the world just who you truly are. And in this moment, I just pray that each person would come to the realization, Lord Jesus, that you are our faithful friend. You're the one who sticks closer than a brother. You're the one who will love us when no one else will. And that's what strengthens us. And so today, God, we strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And as we worship, that's what I want you to do. I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to worship. We're going to pray. If you need to respond by coming to this altar and praying, you can do that. If you need prayer at the end of the service, we'd love to pray with you.